You just caught us. Uh, (laughs) 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 Just playing some music in preparation for our worship service this morning. Welcome. This is Cordova Church of the Nazarene Digital Edition. um, Online. Coming to you from quarantine. Um, And we're excited. We're excited to be here. We're excited that we are able to be with you in this sort of virtual digital space. So... um, We just want to jump into our service, but I wanted to say welcome, and would you open your ears and um, hear the word of the Lord this morning. We are reading Psalm 23. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope that you feel comfortable uh, responding, participating wherever you are. I'm really hoping that as you're sitting on your couch or standing in your living room or sitting at your kitchen table, that you will join with us as we sing this morning.
And would our scripture readers come forward to read for us today? Um, as Josh comes up to read our Old Testament reading, um, I just want to, I hope that you have grabbed the PDF file that's going to have all the lyrics for every song. It's going to have all the reading. It's going to have all the information in there that you need. Um, and it'll be posted wherever you clicked on the link to see this. That PDF file will be really close. Uh, so hopefully you were able to find that. All right, 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehem. Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, if Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons, and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Elam and thought, Surely the, Lord anointed, the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance, on the height the or of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was a ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And our New Testament reading from Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 8. Starting in verse 5. But you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore... Do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. 
Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for every, every anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Oh, no, I think that's... That's the word of the word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Well, normally we would have our ushers come forward um, at this time, but they're not here. And if they were, there'd be no one locally here for them to pass the plate to. Um, so what we're going to ask you to do is maybe just um, consider the way that you're giving. You know, we're able to be with you because we were able to buy a camera and pay for some internet, um, and those are the thing; those bills kind of continue to exist here, and so um, we want to just have a sense of our continued participation in the community through giving. If you're joining us for the first time today online, I hope you don't feel any pressure to do anything like that. Um, we're this is kind of something that we do in house. This is how we as a family take care of these bills, um, and so we just want to ask you to continue to worship with us. Is yet not I. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy.
seated. Uh, <laughs> uh, Pastor Cody is going to come and lead us in prayer this morning. All right, well, um, Good morning, everybody out there sharing in our worship across time and space. 
one brief thing before um, we gather our prayers together. I'm thankful Pastor Jeff created that, um, I believe it's the Cordova Naz prayer line and resource group. One little piece of etiquette I might ask in terms of how we sort of set up the group. If you want to help Pastor Cody, it's always my privilege to be able to pray with you. Um, if you have a new prayer request, make a new comment or make a new uh, post-it, and then people can comment if they're praying for it, if you have updates, if that makes sense. It just means that Pastor Cody doesn't have to sift through the comments of each post to make sure I'm getting through all the, all the prayer requests. So if you have a new prayer request, post it, and then people can comment on it, and every new prayer request, that'd be great. I think for this morning, I, my hope and my prayer is I got them all. And uh, we'll, we'll lift them up here together with all of you. So shall we pray? Lord our God, we are grateful this morning to the means that you have given us, the means of our bodies and of our voices, of our hearts and of our minds, of this space here, video cameras, of apps, of internet, that we can indeed still yet gather and as your people lift up the prayers that you give us on our hearts and our minds, the prayers that Christ prays for each of us. We want to lift up this world that you have made, Lord, for all the people, all the languages, everyone, Lord, that you call your own, that you invite to be a part of your household. We ask, Lord, that in the brokenness of this world, you might continue to pour out your spirit afresh and anew. Anoint it, Lord, allow it to be once again what you have created and made it to be in your Son. Allow us, Lord, to be able to shout forth your praise, the trees, the rocks, the rivers, the clouds, the rain, to sing forth your praise. Lord, we want to lift up this morning with our um, NMI coordinator, um, with the General Church of the Nazarene as a whole, the country of Bolivia, the place, the history, the geography, the culture that you have given it to, Lord, the people that inhabit it, those, Lord, that have come to know you and those that have yet to know you. Might you be able to mobilize your church in that place? Might you be able to use the gifts and the resources that your church has? Might those, Lord, who have not yet been able to call upon your name that they might be saved and delivered and there to be um, a powerful work of your spirit of salvation gifts, Lord, that you have appointed to your church, prophecy of healing, Lord, of hope, of teaching, of preaching, to be made known anew in that place. We want to continue, Lord, to pray for all those in the world that are being affected by the coronavirus, by this contagious sickness, Lord. We think of those people in times and places that have had to fear plague and contagion, we think of those, Lord, who daily across the world in areas where medical access isn't the greatest face things that we don't face on a daily basis. Malaria, diphtheria, typhoid, other kinds of fever, certain kinds of illness and sicknesses, and yet, Lord, who nevertheless persevere, who endure, who facing those threats of death and of sickness still gather together as your people, praying, Lord, and interceding, that you as the God who sent your Son into this world and was not himself overcome or overwhelmed by its sickness, but reached out his hand and touched those that had that contagion, that had that sickness, and it was your grace 
working as an instrument through Christ's body that allowed your holiness and your goodness and your faithfulness to overflow into them, that overwhelmed the death and the sickness that walks by our side. Lord, we think of your Son who prayed the very psalm that though a thousand and ten thousand might fall at our sides, we know that you are with us and for us, that we shall not fall as long as we trust, we hope in you. We want to continue, Lord, to pray that as people face the coronavirus, the fear and the panic that ensues, the hoarding, Lord, those instincts survival that kick in, we might continue to walk in the selflessness and the compassion of your Son, being able to share, Lord, what we have with one another, so that the one who has two coats might share with one who has none, that he who has food might share with him who has not, that he who has shelter might be able to bring in the sojourner and the stranger, Lord. Allow us to continue to be your church in the midst of this. Allow us, Lord, to share the resources we have in the midst of financial hardship. We think of Sharon and Chuck's um, children, the three up in Seattle, the one down in LA who are facing hardship, Lord, of not being able to have work presently. I want to continue, Lord, to pray for those like Gail Hammonds who in essential services, serve those um, in the midst of this panic and this fear, continue at their work and their jobs, um, which in Gale and many others cases are made much harder by um, the retail industry being hard hit by those um, taking much needed supplies in fear and in preparation, Lord, for the uncertainty. We ask, Lord, that you might give them strength a peace, Lord, that endures. Allow them, Lord, to continue to serve Allow others to lift them up in encouragement and in prayer, uh, hoping that they might be able to sustain in a good sense of health the work that you have given to them. I want to continue to pray, Lord, for those who have been affected, um, such as Addie, who have had to travel uh, back here. Thankful, Lord, for her safe travels and return to her household with Debbie and Joel and with Avery. We ask, Lord, that um, you might be able to continue to be a provision, a shelter, protection, in the midst of them, allow us, Lord, in good time to be able to reunite with them in the body in worship. I want to, Lord, continue to pray for those that we know have been affected with sickness by this virus, uh, particularly, Lord, for uh, Michael Purley, uh, just as he has been exposed to this virus and is showing um, its symptoms. Lord, we know that you have brought through more than 90,000 people who have recovered from this. We know, Lord, that there are Yet over 150,000 that have mild or no symptoms. We just ask that as you have witnessed your health, your power, your provision in their lives and seen the triumph over this coronavirus, so might it also be done. Your will be done in Michael's life. Allow him, Lord, to continue to serve you in faithfulness and in witness, both where he works in Kansas City and in each and every life that he touches. Lord, we want to continue to um, pray for your church. Allow us, Lord, in the words of Paul, to take this time as we are separated um, in the midst of the coronavirus to be purified, to be made holy, Lord, um, to allow our hearts and our minds to singly and wholly pursue you to cast off the darkness, Lord, and anything that we might want to try to hide in secret in our lives, be clothed in your life so that you might indeed shine forth in our lives. Allow this, Lord, to give us a sense of sobriety and awakeness in a world that so often falls asleep. We want to continue, Lord, to pray for all those that you have set in authority. Allow them, Lord, to have wisdom. 
allow them, Lord, to know how to respond um, to the challenges that are facing with us. Guide our public, our, our society. Allow us as your church to be able to speak truth in those places, uh, align in those places where we can, where um, those who have been set in authority are um, working as instruments of your will and of your righteousness, Lord, and um, be able to uh, know how to respond in those places um, as your faithful church where that is not being walked in faith and in truth. We want to continue, Lord, to pray for those that have been raised up these past weeks, for um, your servant Robin, for um, Jessica's mother as she comes home and uh, faces this recovery process covering from cancer and the removal of her stomach. We just ask, Lord, for all those that face these, these kinds of um, difficult, painful recovery process, thankful yet for um, that careful work of the doctors and the nurses, the medical establishment here uh, as they're being um, somewhat faced with this novel, novel situation. We thank you for the work that they've done in Robin's life and just allow that um, your healing touch might be done in her and through her. Uh, protect her as she is a particularly vulnerable person in recovering from surgery to this exposure to the virus. And allow us, Lord, to glorify you in and through her body and what you do. We want to, Lord, continue to pray for the children that you have given us, reminded of their gift, particularly yesterday, and the gift of Peter and the celebration of his birthday. Uh, thankful, Lord, for the children that have um, this week been, um, at least in the Sacramento area, sent home from their schools, asking, Lord, that in these new routines you might allow their parents um, to be provided with uh, the strength and the support that they need so that their children can continue to flourish, grow strong in the Lord, grace, favor that you give them, allow them to continue to work at their jobs. We continue to thank you that preschools are being able to um, open back up as an essential service to parents. Um, allow, Lord, there to be good wisdom, sober judgment, and how those children are welcomed into these spaces to minimize any um, transmission of the corona or other viruses. Lord, for all those um, that we know that even if the coronavirus weren't present, might not be able to gather and join with us. We just ask that for each and every person tuning in here and for all those who are a part of our body, our, our body and for all those, Lord, that go beyond um, this congregation and these four walls, might they be able to know and to feel your loving presence in their life, want to continue, Lord, to express thanks for um, Channing Hall and just his faithfulness over these years, for uh, Tom Boyd being able to check in with him this week, just asking that we might be able to worship in both spirit and in body, be able to receive, Lord, that gift of your faithfulness, your testimony over these years, and continue, Lord, to walk in the light of that legacy uh, for days, for months, and for years yet to come. Lord, we want to receive all those prayers that we know are on the hearts and the minds of your people in each and every household, in each and every family. We lift them up to you. We know that you are faithful to hear them this morning. And as you gather those prayers, Lord, as you hear your people, we want to bring forward before you uh, as we prepare to come to the reading of the gospel hear the word proclaimed, prepare at least spiritually to share in the gifts of your table, knowing that you are the one who sets the table for us even in the midst of sickness and death. 
as the good shepherd. Might we make that good confession, Lord, of the ways in which we've fallen short in thought, in word, or in deed. Knowing, Lord, that you have called us to love you with our whole heart and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, might you have mercy on us, forgive us, allow us, Lord, establish us to be able to, this week, even now, even in the midst of our present circumstances, to take delight in your will in all things, to be able to walk in all of your ways. Lord, we lift up all these prayers, all these petitions, all these thanksgivings to you, entrusting them and ourselves to you, knowing that you are faithful to hear and to answer them. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of your Spirit as one God forever and ever. Amen. Is the Gospel reading down over I'm sure I'm looking in the wrong place. Would you be able to give me? Our gospel reading is from John 10, 1 through 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The sheep comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words 
Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is, who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to you, Lord Christ. <laughs> All right. Well, um, yeah, such, such kind of different days here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and stand on the floor. Um, if that's okay with everybody. Okay, good. No one's complaining. Um, well, um, I actually kind of wanted to preach not out of the um, not out of the gospel this week, which is where I normally would think to go, um, and not out of the epistle. Or the New Testament reading, which is maybe where I would tend to go next. And even not really out of the Old Testament reading, although there will be some consideration of that. Um, but really the text that jumped out to me um, and that grabbed my heart this week was the psalm, Psalm 23. We don't preach from psalms very often. Um, they don't, they typically... You have to pay real close attention if you want to hear the story that's present in the psalm. Um, but I can tell you that in crisis, I'm most grateful for the psalms. I'm most grateful for the images um, that come up in the psalms, for the discussion, for the, the presentation of who God is in these poems. Um, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, I noticed this week... Um, I was walking around yesterday, uh, there was a, a, a little girl had written in her driveway, you know, in, in chalk, <laughs> stay safe and healthy, everyone, uh, kind of this message to all her neighbors. I kind of wonder what you've been listening to, what you've been reading, what are the messages that have been encouraging you this week? And I wonder how often the words that maybe have been encouraging you are words from the Psalms, are, are words from that prayer book. Um, that we have in the center of our scriptures. The psalm today is one that we know. Um, its images are almost cliche. It may be, I don't know, it may be the most tattooed psalm um, of all 150. It may be the one that is on the most skin. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David wrote this psalm. He was, as we read today, he was the eighth son of Jesse. Um, seven sons. And Samuel comes to anoint one of them as the king because God has said that one of them will be king. And um, in that, he kind of goes down through those first seven. De Jesse's going, I mean, the chances are that it's the first one. And then if it's not the first one, it's probably going to be the second one. And if it's not the second, there's, 
there's very little chance it's going to be a third, but, but there's no way we're going to get down to number seven. So he just brings the first seven, but Samuel goes through all seven of those, and even among them, the king is not there. So he says, is there anyone else? You can kind of imagine Samuel's confusion. He says, yeah, well, there's the one, the little one. The one we don't really count. I mean, really, he's such a small one, the sort of runt of the litter, that he's out in the field. He's almost not even a son. He basically is a servant out there taking care of the sheep. In the hills that David was in when Samuel came to anoint the king were probably, they were, real close to Jerusalem, just a couple miles outside. When David wrote this psalm, Psalm 23, we don't know exactly when it was, but the theory I like the best is that he actually wrote it at the end of his life. After he'd been chased by Saul in the wilderness, come into his throne and his power after he'd made his mistake and confessed with Bathsheba and Uriah after he'd gone out and fought battles and wars something else happened in David's life he uh, he made a mistake in his family he had a son named Amnon you don't know what it was exactly, but Amnon kind of lost his mind, and he fell in love with his sister, Tamar. And he couldn't handle it. He uh, was so absorbed with her and what she would have meant to him, he couldn't get her off of his mind. and So he chased her down and got her in a secluded place, tricked her, and he raped her. Really terrible, terrible moment. And Absalom was another one of David's sons, sees this happening, and he, he's filled with rage. He's filled with rage about what Amnon has done to Tamar. But he's filled not with the kind of rage that you just like burst out and, 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 and you're out of control. He's filled with that like quiet, slow-burning rage where you're waiting for your moment and you're plotting. You're going to get vengeance. Really, I think Absalom is actually waiting for his dad, David, who is the king, to do something about his son, Amnon. But David doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. He doesn't stand up for his own daughter, Tamar. He lets Amnon get away with it in a certain sense. Maybe he just sees how much he's suffering. He kind of allows that to be enough but he doesn't stand up for Tamar. And so Absalom does. For two years, he waits and he plots. The story is in like 1 Samuel 13 and following. But he waits and he plots. And finally, he gets Amnon alone. He invites him to this dinner way up in the north. And then he springs this trap on him and he slaughters Amnon and everybody who's with him. When he does that, Absalom has crossed his father then. He's sort of crossed David, and now, you know, he's in trouble. 
He's in trouble because he has taken for himself the vengeance that the king should have taken. And so in that instance, now Absalom is sort of set against his father. And the question is, is what's David going to do here? What's Absalom going to do? And Absalom begins to plot yet again. He plots to take over the kingdom. And he does kind of the political thing. He sets himself up in such a way that he knows that people are going to come around him. People are going to love him. He, puts him, he shows up to all of people's birthday parties and he kisses the babies. And he, he does all of the stuff in Israel that you're going to want to do if you're going to need to call everybody to your side at a certain point. And once he feels like his position is secure, he calls everyone to his side and marches into Jerusalem, takes over his father's kingdom. Well, David sees it coming, and he gets out of town because he knows that at that point he can't take his son. He can't overwhelm his son Absalom. Some of his men want to go and fight, but David knows that he's not going to be able to do it. It's a crazy time. David marches out of the city of Jerusalem. He actually leaves the same gate that Jesus will come in when he comes in on his donkey. He goes down through the Kidron Valley, up onto the hill that will become the Mount of Olives, and out into the wilderness. And we think that this is the place that David writes Psalm 23. I imagine him in this place Wrestling, thinking, tinkering. He's, he's, you know, he's kind of too old to be running again. He's too old to be living in the wilderness. He's, he's too old to be doing all this. But I just see him there sitting on a rock, plucking his lyre. And it's in this moment of self-reflection. His kingdom is falling apart. His family is in shambles. And it's his fault. And he knows it's his fault. David stills himself. The Lord is my shepherd. He was once in those hills with the sheep. David used to be the shepherd in those hills. He used to take his father's flock out on, and and bring them to places to eat. He knew the good patches of pasture in those hills. He knew where the good water was. David used to be the shepherd in that place, but now, now David's the sheep. Now David has lost his throne. He's lost his family. The Lord is my shepherd. David is out of control, not leading anyone, just being led. And if you're anything like me, control's kind of a thing. <laughs> control is, a, is something you like to have in your life. You like to know what's going to happen and where you're going to go and what things are going to be about. 
You like to have control over those things that matter. And we're all kind of in a moment right here where nobody's really in control. A lot of us have lost control of our job. We've lost control of the things that we really believe are most important to us. We've lost control of that thing that gave us our identity. Some of us are still in our jobs, but we're so overwhelmed because everything going on with this virus that we've lost control in our job, and yet we still have to show up. Some of us, it's just this feeling of not being able to get outside and congregate and go over to people's house the way you used to or go to a restaurant the way you used to. You just kind of lost control of those rhythms that kind of reminded you who you were and kept you sane. The lockdown, you got this way of asking, like, when it's going to end? And how far is this really going to go? I mean, am I going to be pre recording? <laughs> am I going to be preaching to a, a, not an empty church, but an empty church building? How long is this going to last? You know? When's there going to be toilet paper again? <laughs> Are we going to be able to flatten the curve? All that stuff they're talking about. You don't know. And David didn't know. He didn't know when he was going to get back to Jerusalem. He, he didn't know when he was going to be with his family again or whether he was going to be ever be absolved of his wrong with Amnon and Tamar. He didn't know. He goes out into exile. And some of his men want him to storm the gates and take Jerusalem back, but he won't do it. In fact, one of my favorite pictures of, of David happens during this time. They're, they're walking out of Jerusalem. They're going through a town called Bahurim. And out comes this man who was a part of the family of Saul, who was a part of that house that David had replaced. Right? Saul was the first king of Israel, not a great king. And so Samuel comes and anoints him at Jesse's house to take over Saul's place. And this family member of Saul comes out and he starts throwing rocks. It, it says he just starts pelting David and his entourage, all the people that are walking with him. He's picking up rocks and he's cursing them. How dare you? You never should have taken over for Saul. You're getting everything you deserve, you man of blood, he calls him. This, he's just an insolent, angry man who you can tell has been sitting in this little nothing town way outside of Jerusalem and brooding all these years. And now here comes David and it's his chance to do something and say something about it. And David, just getting, like, knocked with rocks, <laughs> doesn't do anything. One of his men turns to him and says, aren't you going to just do something about this insolent dog? Which is really a really, really bad word in Hebrew. <laughs> That's a mean thing to call somebody. And David says, if he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say to him, why have you done so? 
he's willing to take this abuse. He's willing to be cursed. I mean, David is in this like passive state. He's not a shepherd anymore. He's a sheep. Even though he's leading people out into the wilderness, he's still a sheep. There's still this sense of like, I'm not in control. I may be the king of the rightful king of Israel, but I'm not in control. I'm a part of God's flock. I'm a part of this group that God is leading through. And if God isn't the one who does the leading, then I don't want to be a part of it. And so if God, maybe God told him to come out and curse us, I don't know. Who am I? I mean, it's this crazy picture. There's no rage left in David. The Lord is his shepherd. And I'm kind of seeing some of this play out in our world today. You know, a lot of us want to kind of kick against these orders. You're not going to tell me that I have to stay inside. You're not going to tell me that I can't go out and eat. You're not going to tell me that I can't go out on spring break. Those are the ones that really get me. <laughs> the people who are going to go, to, they're going to go to Miami anyway. They're going to get as drunk as they can anyway. <sighs> There's just this sense but no one's going to tell me what to do. Stay home, cancel school, just seems like too much. And I get it. We haven't really seen this huge impact of this virus up close and personal. Some people say it's no big deal. It's just basically the flu. Some people say it just affects people who are old or unhealthy. I don't know what to do with all that. I mean, first off, I really like old people, and I don't want them to die, so that's kind of important. I really like unhealthy people, too. I don't especially want them to be put at risk. That's a big deal. <laughs> but more to my point, I think, here is that we don't like to be sheep. We don't like to be led. We don't like to obey. I mean, we want to take that last song we sang, Trust and Obey, right? And we just want to sing Trust and... Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, a, that's a bad word for us a lot of the time. We don't want to obey. We don't want to obey each other. Yeah, we'll kind of obey the Lord, I guess. But, but we really don't want to obey temporal authorities. We were watching, uh, our family, we were watching The Lion King again this week. Um, and there's this great line in The Lion King. Um, Simba and Mufasa are sitting up on Pride Rock. They're looking out over the savannah. And Mufasa, Simba's dad, says, All of this will be yours one day. Everything the light touches. And Simba says, all of it, all of this will be mine. When I am king, all of this will be mine. And Mufasa laughs. And he says, yes. There's a lot more to, king, to being king than that. You see, a good king a good leader, 
a good shepherd, is constrained, is limited by what's good for the sheep. By what's good for their people. They don't come into authority and just say, well, finally, I'm king. I can do all the stuff that I want. Finally, I'm a leader. I can make this place look like me. If we are really leading, if we are really shepherding, if we are really guiding, then yes, of course, we're going to have an imprint on the place where we're in leadership. But the goal is not to make that look like us. The goal is for us to ask God has placed me here. How can I make this place the best that it can be? And I guarantee you that's going to mean self-control on the part of the leader. I guarantee you that's going to mean you lose some of what you would want if you were the only sheep there. Jesus in John 10, when he's talking, he says, I am the good shepherd. And I don't run away like those hired hands. I'm not like those leaders who come to you and say, Hail, hail, I'm here. I'm here to bring all the things that you need. All you have to do is do everything that I tell you to do. Jesus says, I'm not like that. Because those people come in and and as soon as danger shows up, they leave. As soon as something threatens them, they're gone and the sheep scatter. They don't actually care about the well-being of the sheep. Their whole purpose is to enrich themselves. And a lot of times, that's what it feels like in our world. A lot of times, it feels like the people who are in political authority, temporal authority, that have that like worldly power that really they just want what's best for themselves and they're using their office as a way to get what's best for themselves. Because now they can make the rules, so they write the rules in a way that works for them. And we get so used to that and we get so comfortable of just being upset with anyone who's over us that when it's time to actually obey, we don't know how to do it. I get it. I don't like obeying either. And sometimes you feel like you get pushed around so much That if you have a chance to hit back, that's exactly what you want to do. But I think the better part of wisdom here is that we ought to listen to our leaders. God says he puts them in authority for good or for ill. Ultimately, it's all for God's good. He's going to work all things toward his good, even bad leadership. But I think in this case, especially, the better part of wisdom is to practice that self-control. And and maybe it's significant. This is all happening and blowing up during Lent. During a time when we as a people are kind of here to say, hey, I'm, I'm here to fast. I'm here to give something up. I'm here to practice obedience. Maybe that's what we need to do right now, is practice obeying the way a good sheep obeys the shepherd. 
obeying as though those in authority over us have our best in mind. Because the way we respond to those authorities often demonstrates the way that we respond to the Lord in our heart. For David to be able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. Then you look at his life, and there's major problems with things that he does, yes. But there's these other moments where he's so tender. Where he's so obedient. Where he's so given over to whatever God will do. It's just mind-boggling that he doesn't seize what's rightfully his. Ultimately, this is where Jesus' life is taking him. I mean, David's life, yes, in general, is, is often a sort of a precursor, a forerunner of Jesus' life. What David does imperfectly, Jesus does perfectly. David, who is the shepherd of his own sheep and then becomes the sheep with the Lord as his shepherd, this same David ultimately leads us to Christ, the son of David, who is led like a sheep to the slaughter, Isaiah tells us. Jesus, too, is pursued and wrongly cursed. Jesus, too, is mocked. Jesus, too, is cast down from the authority and the glory that should have been his. And in fact, he takes the lowest place, a place even lower than David ever takes. Jesus knows what it is to be totally and utterly passive to his father. He knows what it is to obey. Jesus knows that lesson that Mufasa tries to teach Simba. That to say that all this is mine does not mean that I just sort of own this and play with it like it's all my toys. It means that I give myself up totally, utterly, completely. For its salvation, for its redemption, for its ultimate good. As we look at that psalm, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Shepherds used to carry a rod and a staff. The staff was for correcting the sheep. It's got a nice little hook on it. You can reach out, grab one of those little wayward sheep. (laughs) I don't know other words for sheep. (laughs) Pull them back into line, right? Get back from that cliff. Don't walk on that rock. You're going to break your leg. Don't go over there. You're too close to a wolf, whatever. 
The staff is for correcting and guiding the sheep. The rod is for beating off threats. For coming at a bear. For beating back a wolf. It's for assaulting a thief who might want to steal some of your flock. And the good shepherd puts both the staff correcting us and the rod to good use. When you know you have a good shepherd, you know that your shepherd is protecting you from the threat that lives out on the margins, out on the edges. And so when we experience threat in our life, we know that this good shepherd is leading us into green pastures and into quiet waters. But the fact that we're being led into those good places where it's full of life and comfort and goodness and mercy that follows us to the end of our days, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that there's never going to be fear. It doesn't mean that nothing bad or scary ever happens. It doesn't mean that cancer never takes place. It doesn't mean that there's never tragedy in our life. It doesn't mean that plague or pestilence or pandemic don't ever enter our borders. It doesn't mean that. It means that even when they do, we know that we're under the care of the Good Shepherd. It means that even when they come up to our very door and even maybe into our very house, that the Good Shepherd is still at work protecting us in the ways that matter most. And so what Psalm 23 wants us to see, look at those last two verses. David takes us into a new image now. He's not talking about a shepherd anymore. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David says, God, you are a good host. You welcome me into this feast. And when you welcome me into this feast, it is not just about a huge table that's set with all kinds of food. It's about the anointing oil, which is just sort of God pouring out his goodness in this abundant sort of way on David. It's about bringing him into his space, bringing him into a place out of the hunger, out of the cold, out of the heat, out of the danger of the wilderness, and into this place where he's safe, where he's able to receive and to live that goodness and that mercy. It's about God enfolding David, even David with all the terrible things that he did in his redemptive story. David is not the host. He is not the king who welcomes others in. He's the guest. And there's nothing that can strip that from him. See, we can live with the confidence that the Lord has us in every moment. That he will not forget us. But in fact, as Jesus says, that he will lay down his life on our behalf and he does it of his own accord. think this is one of the joys of Lent. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I don't eat very much on Christmas Eve. 
until the nighttime. <laughs> and the reason I don't eat very much on Christmas Eve is I want to be ready for that dinner that's coming. I want to be ready for that feast that I know is on its way. I know it's going to be like top two, top three, number one meal of the year. So I get ready for it. And, and that in some ways is what Lent is about. We fast not just to make ourselves miserable, but we fast so that in our fasting we can prepare ourselves, body, soul, and spirit for the fullness of the feasting that God wants to bring us into. On Easter Day, yes, but ultimately we mean this as we look out. God is preparing a table, he's preparing a feast, he's preparing a way for us to come into his fellowship. And we look forward to the, to the end time feast, to that kind of eschatological moment, that moment at the end in which God will bring all of his goodness to bear on this world. And then every terror and every fear will, will merely be a distant memory. And not just a distant memory, but it, it becomes this, this little bit of dissonance that gets folded back into the music because of the goodness of God. And we discover that God has made these things better. Better than we ever could have imagined. And so my prayer is that, that our fasting will make us hungry. And yes, I mean what you gave up for Lent. That it will make you hungry for that Easter day when you can move back into that kind of life of feasting. But, but I also mean I'm here fasting you all, right? I'm fasting congregational gathering right now. And I'm hungry for the day when we gather again. I'm hungry for the day when we're not limited to groups of six. I'm hungry for the day that we come back together. And I pray that you, as we're sort of in this strange interaction with one another, that you would become more and more hungry for our gathering together, that we would become hungry to gather, to feast, to love, to care, to celebrate together. But I'm also praying that, that we'll become hungry for this table. There have been lots of times in the life of the church when Christians have had to go without communion when we've had to go without the Lord's Supper. And yes, it's central. It is the key point of worship. I really believe that. But there have been a lot of times when people have been separated for one reason or another. And the proper response is not to go, well, I guess it wasn't that important anyway. The proper response to let it carve out a hole in you that says, Lord, would you fill this need in me? So we're going to do what we did last week, essentially, to receive communion spiritually. I'm going to be here and I'm going to celebrate the table and I could talk to you more about that, but basically I want you to know that I'm doing it on your behalf. But I hope that, that as you watch me 
do this, that it builds in you a hunger for the moment where we come back together and are able to receive from that one bread and that one cup and the knowledge that God has made us one in his son, Jesus Christ. That just as we look forward to the day when we'll eat from that one loaf, when we'll drink from that one cup, so we look forward to the final day when we will all be made one in Christ, when Christ will be all in all. That's what our real desire, our real hunger is for. Would you pray with me? Lord God in heaven, our, our hearts are turned toward you. And they're restless until they find their rest in you. In our need, in our emptiness, Lord God. Would you prepare us to receive you this morning? Amen. The communion supper instituted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a sacrament which proclaims his life his sufferings, his sacrificial death and resurrection, and the hope of his coming again. It shows forth the Lord's death until his return. The supper is a means of grace in which Christ is present by the Spirit. It is to be received in reverent appreciation and gratefulness for the work of Christ. And all those who are truly repentant, forsaking their sins, and believing in Christ for salvation are invited to participate in the death and resurrection of Christ. We come to the table that we may be renewed in life and salvation and be made one by the Spirit. Holy God, we gather at this year's table in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, Proclaim release to the captives. Set at liberty those who are oppressed. Christ healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners, and established the new covenant for forgiveness of sins. We live in the hope of his coming again. On the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And so we gather as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving, Pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these your gifts. Make them by the power of your Spirit to be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world until Christ comes in final victory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the body of Christ broken for you. And the blood of Christ shed for you. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for bringing us into your house, for hosting us at your table. May those who are not able to be present and to worship with us today be able to pray honestly and openly that prayer for spiritual communion. We ask, Lord God, that you would truly fill us individually, that you would fill us as a body and as a community. Enable us even in this time, Lord God, to be prepared for the ministry that you are working in us. That we might be ready to do those things which you've called us to do in our world. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Oh, well, I'm blanking a little bit on, uh, on announcements, but the truth is pretty much everything's canceled. <laughs> All in-person gatherings are canceled. Um, we do, we would really love, um, if you were able to join us and we're going to try to find a way to make this possible. But even after this recording wraps up, we would love for you actually to join us in, um, on Facebook, uh, as, as we're going to try to do a Facebook Live and just reflect on the service so that we can kind of be with each other face to face, even if not in person. So I'll be leading a group. We'll see. We may have more than that. Uh, but at the very least, I'll be leading, and we would love to have some, some personal interaction. We'll have some discussion questions and things like that. So um, we look forward to seeing you. Uh, to being with you in whatever way we can safely do that. Let me offer us a benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace, friends. Stay well.